0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Let us begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is the 31st of July. It was on July 31st in 1703 that the English author Daniel Defoe was put in the pillory for a seditious libel due to the publication of his pamphlet The Shortest Way with Dissenters. The pamphlet was an attack on high churchmen written as if it was from the high churchmen point of view but extending arguments to the point of foolishness. Apparently it wasn't until he hit the age of 60 that Defoe began writing fiction and it was in 1719 that his Life and Strange Adventures of Robinson Crusoe, was published. First in 1912, the first movie censorship regulation goes into effect. The U.S. government prohibited movies and photos of prize fights. And finally, it was on July 31st in 1954 that a six-year U.S. research program located in Los Angeles discovered that smog, was caused by the chemical reaction of sunlight on auto and industrial emissions. If my memory serves me correctly, uh, this was spearheaded by a Caltech professor named Harry Hagenschmidt, who was widely ridiculed and laughed at when he originally f- noted that, uh, in his opinion, this photochemical smog, this gray-brown-hazy uh, this gray uh, gray-brown, hazy, uh, uh, air that was hanging out over Los Angeles, Hagenschmidt thought was due to the automobile. Of course, luckily, we did not have a Bush administration back then which would have denied that this was going on and claimed that smog was a natural effect and there's no way we could possibly demonstrate that human activity is bringing this about. All right, our quote of the day comes from the late Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who once said, Everyone's entitled to his own opinion, but not his own facts. Our quote of the day comes from Phyllis Diller, who said, Whatever you may look like, marry a man your own age. As your beauty fades, so will his eyesight. Our stat of the day is that according to a Gannett News Service analysis, death rates for motorcycle ac- accidents have risen steadily since the number of states requiring helmets began dropping from 47 to 20. The annual death toll for motorcycles has now risen from 2160 to 4810. That's 10% of all traffic fatalities, and I can appreciate the fact that riding with a helmet can can be a bummer, especially around the neighborhood at low speeds. But uh, you know the helmet law does save a lot of lives. Although one unforeseen consequence of of the uh, helmet laws have been that there have been a lot fewer organ donors. So uh, you know, w- wear your helmet. Our joke of the day comes from Charlie Sheen who apparently was asked some years back on Saturday Night Live if he'd ever liked the job that his father has playing the president on West Wing. To which he replied, I could never be the president. Think about it. I've abused cocaine. I've been arrested. I'm not a very smart guy. It's a big joke to think people will want someone like me just because his dad was president. Let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week a couple weeks back for multitasking. After Russian Nikolai Sazin won the World Chess Boxing Championship, that's right, the World Chess Boxing Championship, by pummeling his German opponent in the ring, and then checkmating him. I took a lot of body blows in the fourth round, and that affected my concentration, said the loser, Frank Stolt. I did not see him coming for my king. It was, on the other hand, a bad week, not so long ago, for self-defense, after a California woman whipped out her 44 caliber magnum and began firing at the mice scurrying across the floor of her trailer. She dropped the gun and it fired a bolt that pierced her knee, bounced off a friend's keychain and grazed his groin before coming to rest in his coin pocket. Please ladies and gentlemen, if mice are a problem at home, call a professional. And finally, it was kind of an ugly week a couple weeks back uh, for a sense of privilege after a first-class passenger on a Delta Airlines flight from New York became so angry that economy passengers were let off the plane first that he opened an emergency hatch and slid down the chute. The indignant passenger was promptly arrested. All right, uh, item from the lighter side. Uh, We have uh, Steve Mursky, the columnist for Scientific American, that had a rather amusing little bit uh, in in the current issue, which I think I'll quote from. Remember the fly movies? A visionary researcher attempts to build a Star Trek-like transporter, but human bits mixed with bits of a fly that happened to be in the machine. Result? Flyman, or manfly, depending on your point of view. I prefer the great Vincent Price effort of 1958, in which a cheesy fly head is perched in a human body. Noted Mursky, the 1986 Jeff Goldblum version of The Fly is creepier because, well, it stars Jeff Goldblum. But Mursky notes uh, he became intrigued by the short description of the movie called Curse of the Fly that appeared on the screen when he hit the info button on the remote. It said, quote, "A mad scientist tries out a molecular disintegrator on people, but cannot get the hang of it." Unquote. <laughs> So it occurred to Steve Mirsky that other sci-fi and fantasy movies also require terse synopses for the channel surfing community, such as... E.T., a nerd from another planet goes bike riding and (laughs) trick-or-treating. Or Star Wars, an adolescent discovers his true identity. Another good one, Predator, the future governor of California and the future governor of Minnesota go hiking. But uh, the second best, Alien, a feisty cat survives tense times aboard a spacecraft. And my personal favorite, 2001, A Space Odyssey, a slab of basalt and a talking computer get two astronauts into hot water. All right, we want to thank, uh, we want to thank Robin for some email regarding some, well, some Republicans getting themselves in some more trouble. Apparently, a prominent anti-homosexual Republican attorney general, that being of the the, the state of Alabama, has apparently been caught having homosexual intercourse with his male assistant. And the the bonus of this story, oh, it was his wife that caught him in bed. Now, that's a disgruntled wife. Apparently, this attorney general is named Troy King. His gay lover is apparently described as either a college buddy or a very young youngster and apparently Homecoming King from Troy University. Was asked, Robin asked, what are the odds of a dude named Troy King getting caught in bed with a Homecoming King from Troy University? This sounds like a wacky sitcom plot. Oh, and we should mention the fact that uh, Mr. King apparently <laughs> is the state chairman of John McCain's Alabama campaign. King has a history of voicing his opposition to both abortion and homosexuality. He's worked to outlaw sex toys in Alabama. Now, we presume by that he means the inanimate kind. Apparently, they found a quote from Mr. King on John McCain's campaign website, which is as follows. Alabama is a state where actions definitely speak louder than words. More than just talk, John McCain's strong record of support for states' rights and his devotion to the conservative principles of protecting life and the institution of marriage make him the right leader for Alabama. And yes, noted Robin, Mr. King's actions certainly do speak louder than words. And speaking of gays and words, we've been sitting on this one for one year, more than a year, because I just wasn't sure where it would fit into his show, but I think today's the day. It was noted last year that there was a messy divorce going on between former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreevy and his estranged wife. Turned out that uh, said wife... Dinah Mattis McGreevy was blaming the former governor who resigned after announcing I am a gay American for the poor sales of her tell-all book. She says he hurt her image when he called her homophobic and is suing the ex-governor for libel and defamation. McGreevy responded that what really killed her book was her awful appearance on the Oprah show where she appeared in an inappropriate and ill-fitting ball gown and, quote, the fact that her book is poorly written and dull. And about all we can think of to say to that story is to add, well, yes, he is gay. On the algebra issue, I'd like to quote a letter from a high school senior, Eric Hansen from Elk Grove, who wrote the Sacramento Bee, noting that he was outraged that the state is mandating Algebra 1 in 8th grade. Eric noted that although he is an honors student, he struggled and was challenged to perform at his usual level when it came to algebra and geometry. I don't know. We said on this program many months ago, algebra needs to be deleted from high school education and replaced with something we'd call practical math or perhaps scientific math. A huge percentage of people that graduate high school these days can't make change. And I'm sorry to say I'm looking for that $6... uh, Plastic fold-out algebra uh, summary they they sell like in Raley's. I bought it because I was just so astounded at its uselessness. But I really can't do it justice without it having having it in front of me, so we'll just have to put that one off. But uh, we'll return to this. This topic, this is not going to go away. Article in the Sacramento Bee last week noted that uh, uh, just 20% of California 8th graders are proficient in algebra, and they note that although Algebra 1 is required for high school graduation, state colleges and community colleges report continuing high percentages, and in some cases, rising percentages of students who cannot do basic math or first-year algebra. An yeah, article in the B noted that uh, they quoted uh, the president of Miyamoto International Structural Engineers, who said, I use algebra every day, every day. And, uh, you know, not to say it's not an important topic, but the way it has been taught in California for the past generation, oh, it just needs to be just, just changed or thrown out. And in other academic matters, I was listening to, uh, to Tom and Ray, the, the Tappet brothers, click and clack. And uh, a caller mentioned something about, uh, you know, the farms. I just caught the end of it, talking about the farms. Oh, yeah, we were just out there. And by the description, it was clear they were referring to UC Davis. And indeed, the wisecracking automotive wizards of National Public Radio did uh, pay a visit to Davis here uh, recently. They were hosting a documentary titled Cars of the Future for PBS's uh, Nova. And as part of this, they dropped by the uh, UC Davis shop of Professor Andrew Frank. And although I'm sorry to say I missed it, I guess the program aired on PBS last April. And, uh, you know, we're big fans of of the Maliazzi brothers and hope to have them uh, on this program at some point in the future. And and we, we might. They're doing, uh, they're doing very well. I mean, the, their show is, is, is allegedly about auto repair, but it's about, you know, it's about critical thinking and having a, you know, a lot of fun while they're doing it. And they, they've also expanded into a cartoon, which is actually pretty funny. We got that from UC Davis Magazine, which also noted that uh, former Radio Parallax guest uh, Chancellor Larry Vanderhoef is retiring. The man who's been at UC Davis is only their fifth chancellor, is going to step down in June of next year. The article about him noted that UC Davis is now ranked eighth among all U.S. universities in contributions to society, according to the Washington Monthly, and according to U.S. News and World Report, is now ranked 11th among U.S. public universities. Anyway, congratulations to UC Davis. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Hear you say, lights taking you nowhere.